Now I can talk. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Jeff, for inviting me. Um, you know, I sometimes tell people that Jeff is my best Clemson friend, and he quickly points out that he's my only Clemson friend. Um, so, But it's a delight to be here. I know many of you uh, just through uh, serving in the Tidewater Presbytery, and I'm just delighted that uh, you would turn out for a conference that focuses on relationships, uh, singleness, and marriage. And um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, you can turn to that. We're going to pick it up on verse 25. While you're finding that, you might think, you know, I love the retreat. I come every year. Uh, but why do I need to hear uh, some talks on singleness and marriage? Um, well, let me give you a little vignette. Uh, three days ago, uh, I was meeting our newly hired uh, student director and soon-to-be pastor of families at our church, Matt. And if you know, if you ever met Matt, he's never met a stranger. And so when we meet at this coffee shop, this cafe, it's a great place to meet. And I, I walk in there. He's usually there before me studying. He's getting ready for ordination. And he's got his, his noise-canceling headphones out. But he always sits in the—he's a people person. He always sits in the common area. And I walk in, and he's in this very spirited conversation with two ladies. He's sitting, you know, they're on the couch, and he's on the comfy chairs. And I could tell that this was kind of an emotional, heated conversation on, their, on the women's part, not on Matt's part. He had just taken off his headphones, getting ready for me to come in, and he heard the words Greek and Hebrew— and if you just graduated from seminary, you can't resist leaning into that to say, you know, I'm a pastor. Well, I'm actually uh, preparing to be a pastor. And, you know, what church? Uh, and, and then, you know, Presbyterian, you hear that, and that sets off all sorts of bells. And so he said, but we're the conservative branch of the Presbyterian church, and we believe this and that. Probably mistake number one, uh, just kind of, <laughs> and um, it turned out they they had been they had claimed they had been very hurt um, by the church. And some of the churches they had listed, uh, I was very familiar with, are churches that preach and teach uh, the Bible and the gospel of grace. And so uh, it was really, the conversation was oriented towards relationships and her experience of singleness and her experience in the church as a single. Uh, she had been married before and hurt and so um, it was very interesting that the next 20 minutes, uh, when Matt came over, you know, I was wondering, should I, should I rescue him in this conversation, or should I just listen in? But he had a lot of questions, questions about what. You know, the next 20 minutes of our conversation was talking about these things that we're going to be talking about this weekend. So wherever you are, whether you're single, uh, maybe you're single again. Uh, maybe you're married, you've been married for 40 years, maybe you've been married for um, four months, I don't know where you are. I just pray that God richly meets you where you are in your singleness or in your marriage. And so uh, with that, let's, um, uh, let's read some scripture and we're going to dive in. Uh, there are some notes, uh, this set of notes for this particular talk, they're kind of light. I figured you'd, you're still waking up or recovering from... Gaga ball from last night or whatever. So um, there are notes for you. But let's um, give our attention to the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians 7, and we're going to read verse 25 through 40. 
Paul is writing and he says, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. (laughs) Isn't that great? And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it is to be, let him be, uh, do what he wishes, let him marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having the desire under control, and is determined that this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does, does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Sounds strange, doesn't it? A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes Only in the Lord. Yet, in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think, too, I have the Spirit of God. Kind of strange words, aren't they, in our culture? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we pray this morning that you would nourish our hearts with your steadfast love and the hope of the gospel. We pray that you'd meet us here by your Spirit this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've read or uh, watched uh, any of the Lord of the Rings, uh, you're familiar with uh, the hobbits, the hobbit culture, um, the kind of the fellowship of the hobbits in their um, mission to save Middle Earth. And throughout the story, there's you know a hobbit by the name of Frodo that really understood kind of the dangers of the mission. In fact, uh, he understood these dangers better than the other hobbits, and so he would often launch out ahead of them to protect his friends. He cared, cared for his friends, but he could never share, uh, shake the uh, devotion of his friend, Sam. And so there are a number of scenes uh, throughout the tale uh, shared by Sam and Frodo on this world-saving mission. And, you know, sometimes Frodo would launch out and there's, you know, remember the scene, he launches out of the water and, 
and, and, and Sam nearly drowns uh, to catch him. Or, you know, who can forget the scene where, um, you know, Frodo just kind of collapses in Sam's arms uh, because of the burden that the ring was bringing. But we also know that, you know, in terms of Hobbit community, this was only half of the Hobbit community that was on task, on mission. There was also Pippin, uh, Mary and Pippin, and, and they really kind of come crashing onto the scene kind of quite literally as uh, Sam and Frodo are preparing to leave the safety of their home and to launch out on mission. And here comes Pippin, uh, 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 Mary and Pippin, and they're, they, they, they're running from the fields, some shenanigans that they had stirred up with the farmers, and they literally come crashing in. And they're not poster hobbits for world-saving mission. Um, but we see this kind of this interesting development of character along the way. That as they journey together, as they're on mission together, uh, we see kind of a transformation of their character. And we also see kind of a transformation as they understand better their relationships as friends on mission. And of course, uh, one of the things that we did on sabbatical, we went uh, to uh, to Oxford and we uh, did a, kind of a, a study and a kind of traced uh, the walk of uh, kind of the walk and the the life of C.S. Lewis uh, there, and I got to sit in some of the pubs where he and the Inklings and Tolkien. Uh, would hang out and discuss theology and liter- uh, uh, literacy and all, uh, um, literature. Uh, you know, it's just a lot of fun. And, you know, if you know anything about Tolkien, I, I believe that uh, these stories that he told in Lord of the Ring are kind of a picture, especially the kind of this hobbit, hobbits on mission, kind of this picture, beautiful picture of Christian community. What is it? What it means to do life together in mission, and so um, we have First Corinthians seven. This this kind of this strange back half of First Corinthians seven, and Paul is also painting this beautiful picture of what life and mission looks like with singles and marrieds together. And it's kind of maybe strange some of these. Um, this, this advice, it appears that he is writing his correspondence in response to some correspondence that he's received, seeking counsel, seeking advice, and you know how to do life and relationships. And so he has advice and counsel to, to marrieds, to singles who've never been married, to singles who uh, are single again and maybe considering remarriage. Uh, to fathers and guardians who, you know, have charge over uh, their betrothed daughter. It's kind of interesting. And so, you know, Dear Abby has nothing on Paul. Uh, a few months ago, I had the privilege of speaking at ODU at a, a, one of their Christian groups, and I referred to, to Dear Abby, and I asked the students, just curious, how many people have even heard of Dear Abby? And about three Students raise their hand out of 60 students. I'm like, really? And they say, yeah, I think that's what my grandparents read. I'm like, wow, they're really, I'm really feeling old. But here we see um, that, you know, in the midst of this very overly sexualized Corinthian culture, this hyper self-indulgent culture, Paul paints this beautiful picture of what it looks like 
for marrieds and singles to be in uh, this new humanity that Jesus has established. And he's put us together and he's sent us on mission, gospel mission. So um, we'll just kind of kind of walk through three points that kind of come out of the text uh, this morning. The first is this. Paul gives us a glorious vision for singles and marrieds. A glorious vision for singles and marrieds. Again, verses 25 through 28. I'm just going to reread those. Uh, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Uh, Verse 28. But if uh, you do not marry... Uh, you have not sinned, but if you have betrothed to a woman, if, but if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, but I would spare them of. So, what is this talking about? He's again. He seems to be addressing um, in this passage uh, parents, guardians, uh, maybe even fiancés. If you drop down and look at verse thirty-six, um, and in the first century. The decision to to marry often hinged on the father or the guardian that was in charge of of the young lady, and of course they want hopefully they want what's best for her, what would secure for her a uh, a good future, a hopeful future. And so, what is so remarkable about this this passage is Paul's assessment of singlehood, singleness. You know, in a in a culture that really prizes marriage, whether it is marriage for security, whether it is marriage for uh, childbearing or climbing the social ladder or prestige or whatever, this Corinthian culture prizes marriage. And so what is so shocking is Paul's very positive assessment on remaining single or being single. And, you know, maybe that was shocking at their t- this time. Maybe it's not so shocking in our culture, our cultural moment right now where people are staying single longer or just opting to remain single. You've got entertainers, you've got uh, social influencers, athletes or whatever that are kind of holding up singleness as the life of no restraints you can have. You know, according to them, uh, as what they, you know, kind of they put their life out there on social media and on um, you know, all manner of media. It's like singleness is this life of no restraints. Uh, you can just have children. Uh, you can find yourself self-actualization. Uh, you, this is the way uh, to an awesome life. You can play the field, um, all sorts of things. But here we see that Paul saying that uh, if you choose singleness, that's very legit. Marriage is, is also very legit. Uh, whether you marry or not, he's saying that, um, you know, singleness is a good option. In fact, he even says here, I heard a few of you chuckle, said that singleness is actually better. Now, it's um, maybe kind of strange to our, you know, our culture that even though more and more people are staying single and holding that up. There's still this thought, this concept in our, our culture that the marriage is the ultimate prize. You know, if you watch rom-coms, if, um, 
you know, if you actually even listen to people that are single and they claim to be very happy, it's almost still holding up marriage as this trophy that says, you see, somebody really does love me. Somebody really does get me. Or holding up marriage is saying, you know, this is really the definitive answer and solution to loneliness. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But here, Paul kind of strikes a balance, a beautiful balance, uh, that doesn't go to either cultural extreme, right? He says, you know, not to, you know, telling us here and other parts of uh, his epistles, you know, not to make an idol out of singleness, nor make an idol out of marriage. That marriage is a beautiful thing, that singleness can be a very beautiful thing. Neither is a prison sentence, and neither is heaven, neither is heaven on earth. In fact, you remember the um, teaching of Jesus on marriage in Matthew chapter 19, where the Pharisees come to trip and trap Jesus, and they think that they can trip him, trap him on the teaching on marriage and divorce. And Jesus um, responds beautifully to him, to them. And the disciples are listening, but the way he's describing marriage is not describing it as heaven on earth. After he finishes describing marriage, his disciples kind of look wide-eyed at him and said, and I kind of paraphrase them, who would ever want to get married? You know, because um, he doesn't paint marriage as just heaven on earth, easy peasy. And so, um, you know, kind of coming down to some application, for us as, as well-meaning Christian marrieds, um, sometimes we have this very unconscious way of reinforcing to our single friends or maybe family members uh, that marriage is better. You know, just, um, you know, if you're single, just kind of keep trying, keep putting yourself out there. Uh, continue to, to make yourself marketable. Don't give up. Or maybe when there are single friends or our single family members are going through seasons of particular loneliness, we just kind of unconsciously reinforce that marriage is the definitive, ultimate solution for loneliness. So, point of application, uh, if singleness is legit, if that's a legitimate option, and Paul says it is, then us marrieds, we need to resist the temptation uh, to wag our finger or to throw up our hands in frustration at our single friends and just say, you know, why are you being so picky? Just settle and move on with your life, right? Um, or, you know, consider for us marriage, you know, who are we to say that God is, where God has placed them is, is second cut, second rate? I mean, who are we? Maybe a better option for us as we're ministering to our single friends or single family members is, is maybe to offer to just kind of um, to read a really good Christian book on singleness and just to say to kind of help them think through that particular stage or that particular time in their life that maybe they're struggling with. So just kind of walk with them uh, rather than to necessarily try to fix them up uh, with someone. Uh, on the other hand, singles need to take care uh, that they are not idolizing what they enjoy about singleness, or that they're not idolizing 
Uh, they're kind of thinking about marriage in a way that just kind of spirals them down into self-pity or to self-focus or to buy in and latch on to the notion that you know, marriage is the ultimate definitive solution for loneliness. Our Sunday school class, we've kind of converted Sunday school into a, kind of a book club. And so we've really, really enjoyed uh, the books that we've been uh, working through uh, each week. And right now we're working through one this is an excellent book called 12 Faithful Women. And one of the women that we studied was um, Helen Rosevere. She was a British physician and missionary to the area of Africa that was then called the Conga. And her biographer in that chapter, I believe, was Betsy Howard. Betsy Howard did a magnificent job of just really helping us um, understand Helen Rosevere, just what she was going through uh, and the endurance that God had give, uh, given her. And so when she... Um, when she decided God was calling her to the mission field as a physician, uh, she realized that she was going to the Congo and she may never marry. And she realized that she embraced it. And actually the, her first stint there, she was so busy setting up medical clinics, building medical clinics, training RNs, uh, that she actually just didn't really have too much time to think about the concept of being lonely. Until she went on her first furlough in 1958, she went back to London, and then it just kind of hit her. You know, as you're on sabbatical or furlough as a missionary, and you just have time to think and process. And she was kind of processing this, this profound sense of loneliness in her life. And so she started asking the Lord, you know, Lord, I'd really like to return back to the Congo with um, with a nice Christian surgeon husband. And sure enough, she met a guy. And they started courting. And, you know, her desires began to shift kind of away from, during this courtship, kind of away from returning to the Congo with um, a, a Christian partner, a surgeon, to kind of shifting towards, you know, maybe just having this guy be her husband right there in London. And so she was really kind of rustling with this, and she was asking God uh, to release her from her missionary call. But during that time, it's really interesting, during that time, her spiritual life just really began to dry up. And just she just sensed that um, she was following her, her desires, her own desires at the expense of her calling from the Lord that she was wanting to be released from. And so she surrendered to God's leading, and she went back to Africa in peace. Uh, she had the option and the right. It was legitimate for her to marry, uh, but she laid down that right. And she said this, I love what her biographer, um, as um, Betsy Howard quoted her, she said she wanted a husband so she could pass the buck to someone else. She was tired and lonely. But she said she sensed the Lord saying, Pass the buck to me. And then years later, when somebody was asking her how she was handling her singleness, she said, you know, I am more in love with Jesus than ever before. He is my protector and my keeper. So we see this kind of this, this glorious vision here for, um, for singles and married the second thing I want you to consider this morning as well is the glorious vision for our freedom and roles. 
glorious vision for our freedom and roles. Let's, um, let's pick up verse 31. And those who deal with the world as though they have no dealings with it, for the present form of the world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things and how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. A couple of things on that. He's talking about, you know, the context for this is this present distress. And commentators have spent a lot of, spilled a lot of ink on what is this present distress. Maybe even your, your study notes in your Bible might offer some opinions. It ranges from uh, worldwide famine that was happening at that time. Uh, it ranges, you know, of course, that would impact uh, the global economy. It could range from uh, a lot of, uh, a rash of deaths that were taking place. If you know anything about 1 Corinthians 11, uh, there would be a lot of funerals going on in the church. Uh, a lot of people were dying. So the pastors, TJ and Jeff, would be very, very, very busy uh, burying your friends. That could be distressing. It could be a lot of things. I believe uh, it's kind of maybe, you don't have to just pick one, that in growth there's kind of this growing opposition to Christianity as the church is expanding. And Paul, I think if you talk, combine kind of opposition or persecution with hardships of life, maybe a global famine, uh, economic downturn, uh, maybe people uh, dying, a rash of funerals, that Paul is really kind of talking about this heightened sense that he had of Jesus' return, kind of living life between the two advents, his first advent and his second advent. And, you know, people have gone through persecution or opposition uh, and hardships have this, just kind of this amazing, uh, Christians can develop this, just this amazing clarity in their eternal perspective. I think this is what, what Paul is getting at. I remember back in 1990, uh, at least I were serving on staff with crew. Uh, that formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ, and uh, we were serving with a Latin American uh, division of crew. And uh, I, that summer, 1990, in Manila, we, uh, Dr. Bright, had kind of this this goal, this vision, this aim of just saturating a major urban city of, uh, with the gospel. One, we're going to share the gospel with one million people. So we took crew staff from all over the world. Our uh, contingent was from. Latin America. And when we were there, there was this, this phenomenal earthquake that rocked Manila and just leveled Baguio, which is a neighboring city. In fact, the Hilton there, the Hilton collapsed. It was rubble. And I just remember that summer, even just right after that happened, being out on the streets and there's just this, God just created, stirred up, kicked up this incredible openness to the gospel. But even for us staff, there's just this heightened sense of eternal perspective that just stayed with us for years. Before that time, 
Um, Manila had been very closed to the gospel. So Paul here, in kind of that context, he kind of drops in this discussion about our freedoms and our roles in light of Jesus' return. And, you know, he's not saying here in this, what I just read, that, you know, especially verse, uh, I believe it's 32 or 31, where he says, you know, an unmarried woman or betrothed woman is anxious about many things, uh, is not anxious. She can, she can kind of concentrate and zero in and hone in on, on holiness, how to be holy in body and spirit. And what Paul is not saying is that singles uh, can be this super spiritual rock stars that God is more pleased with than the worldly marrieds, distracted marrieds. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying this, that married folks just have added cares and distractions and obligations and activities that many of our single friends don't have or don't have to that degree. Uh, On the other hand, I'm going to say this as a pastor. I can say it for Jeff since I'm the guest, right? You know, sometimes I think married folks can be very tempted to hide behind obligations and family activities in a way that kind of really hamstrings the ministry and the mission of the church. So Paul is saying, you know, singles have this, this flexibility with less obligations to serve the church in ways that marrieds would actually like to, to the degree that they would like to, but uh, aren't able to. The second thing that's so fascinating is, is what I hinted uh, at in uh, that, that verse um, 34, you know, where it says, I'm going to read that again, and his interests are divided. The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. It's really fascinating to me because it's, he's saying here the singles have more time to focus on growing deeper and deeper in their relationship with the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about being this super Christian rock star that God is more happy and pleased with. Not what he's saying. It's not what I'm saying. But they do have a little bit more time to go really, really deep in cultivating their relationship with God. Body and soul is really shorthand for inner man, outer man. Uh, Jesus talked in these very terms. Uh, He often would say that, uh, you know, the inner man, what is on the inside, will be revealed on the outside. Proverbs 4 says, above everything, guard the heart. It is the wellspring of life. And so, you know, many of you can testify and relate uh, to single friends uh, that have added time in their morning routines and their evening routines to just really drink deeply from the Word of God, to really cultivate an amazing sense of what it means to be betrothed to Jesus, to cultivate this amazing sense that what we really, really need as Christians, what we really need as what my friend Scotty Smith says, what we really need is Jesus plus whatever God chooses to give us. That's what we really need. Richard Stearns is president of World Vision, and he was reflecting on a visit to a church in Haiti right after the devastating 
earthquake that took place there. And the church building that he uh, was, was visiting was constructed of tarp and duct tape. And right there in the front row were about six amputees. It was kind of a praise service. And everybody in there, particularly the amputees, they, uh, they were clapping their hands to those who could clap. They were smiling. They were singing song after song. They were lifting up their prayers and their praises to the Lord. And he said that uh, just the, the worship service was full of hope and thanksgiving right after this devastating, crushing earthquake. He said nobody was singing any louder than this single mom by the name of Damasi Lafine. She was a 30-year-old single mom of two. And during the earthquake, um, a building had collapsed on her, pinning her in there and crushing her right arm and her left leg. Four days after a rescue, both of those limbs had to be amputated. And there she was. She was leading the choir. Uh, she was leading the prayers. She was standing up with, on her prosthesis. Uh, she was lifting her one hand in praise to the Lord. And she was just so full of joy. She was deeply grat- gra- uh, grateful that God had spared her life. And she believed wholeheartedly that God had spared her life for two primary reasons. One is to raise her girls uh, because she was single. But also, she said this, to serve the Lord for a few more years. 32 years old. I just sense that uh, he wants me to serve him for how many more years he's going to give me. And this is what Richard Stearns said. He said, it makes no sense to me as an entitled American who grouses at the smallest inconveniences, a clogged drain or a slow Wi-Fi connection in my home. Yet here in this place, many people who have lost everything, expressing nothing but praise. He said, I feel pity and sadness for them, but as they who might better pity me for the shallowness of my walk with Christ... It's just remarkable that God used this single mother to show the president of world vision, world vision, right? What it meant that Jesus is sufficient. To show him the sufficiency of Christ. As my friend Scotty Smith says, it's sufficiency, uh, not just in terms of barely enough, but sufficiency in terms of Surely enough that Damasi Lefine showed him what it means that what we really, really need, married or single, is we need Jesus plus whatever God chooses to give us. Last thing I want you to see this morning is this, our ultimate satisfaction. What is our ultimate satisfaction? Verse 40, verse 40 Yet is my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. Single, right? And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Our ultimate satisfaction, that's our final point. About 10 days ago, I was standing in the parking lot of a Cracker Barrel uh, with a dear friend of mine who had just lost his wife unexpectedly. We were all shocked. And we just had a two-hour lunch um, talking about it. And his wife had died unexpectedly, uh, leaving uh, two kids at home. And they had just moved in her parents that year to care for her parents who were in serious decline because she was, get this, 
She was the only remaining blood relative that these parents have. You talk about a mess. And um, as my friend was reaching for the door of his car, he just turned around and just said something um, I should have anticipated, I wasn't expecting, and he just said, you know, I know it's too soon, but one thing that we haven't even talked about, Dan, is um, I guess I've got to start dating. I can't do this alone. Boy, what do you say? I didn't give him any pat answers. I just gave him a big bear hug. I didn't give him any pat answers because um, I've had other friends say the very same thing to me. And I've said, heard them say that, and then they ultimately kind of chose to remain in the state that God had called them. Life of singleness. And I've had other friends who've said the same thing and have launched out about getting remarried in such a reckless way that it almost destroyed and alienated their relationship with their children. And I think that um, you know, it's kind of a common assumption in our culture, that's, or in any culture, that singleness is uh, the cause of loneliness. And as somebody that does a, a lot of marriage counseling, that's kind of what I specialize in, I do mostly marriage counseling. Um, I can say that singleness is not the cause of loneliness. That the first two lonely people that ever existed on earth were married. Because of their sin, they became alienated with their God, with each other, and even the world that God had given them. So I know that, uh, you know, just in talking with a lot of marrieds, um, you know, that some of the loneliest people I've ever met are married. They're experiencing a marriage um, in a way that God did not design marriage to operate and function. But still, Sam Alberry has read written one of the, my favorite books on, on singleness. Um, he said this, uh, I love this. He said, marriage is not a close friendship with sex added, nor is, it a, nor is a close friendship a marriage without sex. Marriage is covenantal and exclusive, but friendship is not. And really what he's saying, this is really a lot of, this is really good news. Because in other words, I'll paraphrase what he goes on to say, is what he's saying is that we, all of us, every one of us in this room, we all have the opportunity to have a wide variety of friendships that really go deep. And my friendship with Jeff is not threatened with his friendship with TJ or, our, or their friendship with a mutual friend of ours, George, um, Because, as C.S. Lewis says, our friendship actually are enhanced as we bring other friends into the equation because we get to see different dimensions of our personality and character in such a way that we would never see that one-on-one. 
And what Scripture is telling us you know, over and over in the Proverbs and so many places in Scripture is that we have this opportunity to go deep and wide in our friendships. Proverbs 27, 9 says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from what? From their earnest counsel. That word, that phrase, earnest counsel, literally means counsel from the soul. Soul to soul intimacy. Soul to soul intimacy is available to you. It's available to married. It's available to singles. And that's really good news. Because really the the real solution to loneliness um, is not in marriage and it's not in human relationships. The real solution to to, to loneliness is the restoration of our relationship with God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, uh, we are brought into relationship with God, and we are brought into deeper, more satisfying relationship with one another. We can call one another brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, as we say sometimes uh, on the floor of Presbytery or General Assembly when we're addressing the body of Christ. And so that brings us to verse 40. And Paul says, you know, I think, too, that I have the Spirit of God. Paul comes to the final answer. Now, if this is who wants to be a millionaire, he would say, final answer. What's the final answer? The final answer is not marriage and it's not singleness, but it's in the one whose love is is better than life. It's the one who has sent us his Spirit to turn up the volume of the sweetness of his love in our hearts. So singles and marrieds, we're in community. We're in this new humanity that Jesus has established, and we are on mission. I'm going to close with this. In November of 2010, there's a wedding party in Glenig, Australia, and they had just had the wedding ceremony they were out uh, taking photos before the reception on this kind of this ice, iconic scene where it's kind of a ledge and then the sea is in the background. And somebody very unrelated to the marriage party, this lady was kind of on this iconic ledge and she falls over the ledge, she falls into the water, and she starts drowning. And so the wedding party, fortunately, some of them uh, were equipped in um, emergency rescue. Uh, the best man. Uh, he, he dives in in his tuxedo. He swims out and he rescues her, pulls her to shore. The bride in just the, her beautiful gown, she, go, she goes into the water. She helps bring the lady to the shore. And she's the one that administers CPR. Uh, the, the, the emergency crew arrives, the drenched wedding party, uh, go into the reception, all is well. Um, but that's... Um, That's a picture of our calling, isn't it? We're all dressed for the party. If you are in Jesus Christ, uh, we all have on the garments of salvation. We're dressed for the party. Your invitation to the wedding feast of the Lamb is signed and sealed with Jesus' blood. And on that day, we're not sitting around that table as singles, but as marrieds. We're all married to Jesus, our bridegroom. 
And nothing or nobody will keep you from that party. But until then, with singles and marrieds, we're in community and we dive in to mission together. Let's pray and then we're going to talk about it. Father, we do thank you that uh, we thank you for our single friends in particular this morning and how they enrich our lives. And uh, Father, we pray that we, marriage would go deeper and deeper uh, in our relationship with them. We pray for our single friends that they would go deeper and deeper in the, in the knowledge of your love. I know that some of my friends sometimes feel incomplete without a spouse, but Father, we thank you that uh, the number one is still a whole number. And we pray that they would find their wholeness and their identity squarely in Jesus. So, Father, we just pray that you would continue to just bind us together, marrieds and singles, with the cords of your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.